Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. It's Tuesday, October 18th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. As housing affordability continues to be a problem across many parts of the country, could an algorithm be responsible for apartment rents going up? The software called Yieldstar suggests daily prices for open units using data analytics. In some cases, the software suggests double-digit price increases. It even goes as far as to suggest that landlords could get more revenue with a lower occupancy rate, but with increased rents. How much is this software being used? In one Seattle neighborhood, 70% of apartments were overseen by 10 property managers, all who use the pricing software. Heather Vogel, reporter at ProPublica, joins us for how this algorithm impacts rising rents. Next, production was shut down on Bill Murray's latest project earlier this year when it was alleged that he sexually harassed a member of the production staff. We now know that Murray got on top of the woman and kissed her through their masks. She settled in the amount of about $100,000. Bill Murray has a great reputation with his fans, but since those allegations surfaced, fellow actors and co-workers have come forward with their own negative stories about him. Matt Wilstein, senior writer at The Daily Beast and host of The Last Laugh podcast, joins us for what to know. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. It will take that pricing information from, you know, the broader neighborhood, the broader area, and it will feed that into this algorithm in order to come up with a suggested price that the landlord could set. Joining us now is Heather Vogel, reporter at ProPublica. Thanks for joining us, Heather. Hi, thanks for having me on. Well, let's talk about an interesting thing going on in the uh, rental market right now. We're seeing prices go up all over the place. Obviously, the housing market is kind of crazy. It's cooling down from the craziness that was going in the pandemic, but we're still seeing a lot of low inventory. So we're seeing, you know, rising um, prices for rent, for apartments, for renting houses all over the place. But right now, what we're seeing is rent going up for a lot of apartments. And one thing that could be maybe not fully responsible, but a part of a reason why the rents are going up so much is a software called Yieldstar from a company named RealPage. And a lot of landlords are using this to see what competitors might be uh, offering as far as rent goes. And this algorithm just kind of without the human touch just starts raising rents. And it's telling landlords, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, maybe don't shoot for that high occupancy, raise the rents and you can make some more revenue. It's all gets pretty complicated. But Heather, tell us a little bit more about Yieldstar and the software and how, how it's working so far. 
So the software is an algorithm that takes a bunch of different information. Some of it is specific to the apartment that is in question that needs a price on it. How many bedrooms are there? What's the floor plan? And then some more information about the property that it's located in. Things like what what kind of rents have they gotten in the past and what has the occupancy been and things like that. And then it, it sort of moves out a little further to gather some market data that is aggregated and anonymized. So it's not giving landlords specific information about what the guy next door is charging. But it will take that pricing information from, you know, the broader neighborhood, the broader area, and it will feed that into this algorithm in order to come up with a suggested price that the landlord could set. And the algorithm is really shooting for a price that would maximize the amount of money the landlord is going to make. Sometimes that can mean perhaps a slightly lower occupancy than the landlord would have initially accepted or shot for in order to achieve kind of a higher level of rent, a higher level of rent over time, maybe keeping rents at a higher level. So it's a a very complicated calculation that it's making, but that's basically what it's trying to do. Yeah. And talking to landlords and, and, you know, people that are using these, this software, it seems like it's giving them the confidence to raise the prices higher than they normally would. You know, a lot of times, you know, you had a ton of examples in the in the article, right? Let's say, um, you know, occupancy is low or something like that, and you're going to lower rent just to get more people in there, right? And the algorithm says, no, let's do it this other way. And so um, you even uh, talked about how some of the executives from RealPage were talking about how apartment rents had recently shot up about as much as 14.5%. And they're like, we would have never thought this would be happening, but this is kind of, we're following the algorithms lead and this is what it's telling us to do. Yeah, that's an example that we found where a couple of executives from this company that sells this software that used to be called Yieldstar, and then they underwent a merger and bought their biggest competitor, and they've renamed the software as AI Revenue Management. But it's still, I think people still refer to it as Yieldstar. But, you know, they were talking about, you know, last year, there had been a period where rents had shot up like 14.5%, very dramatic increase over a short amount of time. And one of the executives said to the other, well, role do you think the software has had in this increase? And the other executive said, I think that it's driving it because a human would be much more reluctant to raise rents that much over a single month. In the advertising for Yieldstar, they talk about how using this is going to help you outperform the market, 3 to 7% in some cases. So, I mean, they're telling you just follow the lead of this thing. You know, what do people say as far as when you're talking about things like competition, when you're talking about just artificially inflating prices too much, because I think even some of those execs said, yeah, well, you know, some of these price increases that are happening in the market overall is being driven by things like this uh, algorithm. That's right. I mean, it's very hard to separate the impact of this algorithm from other effects of things like an increased demand from renters because people are being shut out of the home buyer market or there's not enough construction in your area for new units and, and things like that. But at the same time, it is how RealPage is selling their software. They are promising a premium above what your competitors perhaps are making in revenue. And, you know, that translates into higher rents in many cases, you know, at least higher than what the market is charging potentially. Trying to pinpoint that is very difficult in data. 
But I think that's kind of at the, the crux of the question here is whether rents are being pushed up above competitive levels mm-hmm. by the software and whether software is using information from all these different property managers who should be competing with each other and potentially, you know, even coordinating their pricing in a way that is not what should be happening. Right. And according to the way it used, I mean, you might not know the exact, you know, what a, um, a competitor might be charging, but the algorithm is kind of, you know, it doesn't really matter. The algorithm is going to be suggesting what the price is going to be. And the old way, you know, it's funny that uh, you mentioned a couple of times, the old way of doing it is, you know, you just call a competitor and say, hey, you know, how much is this place uh, being leased for, et cetera, et cetera. And then you kind of write it down in a in a notebook and a ledger or whatever. And then that's kind of how you would make your determinations for your properties. And, you know, the software obviously eliminates the need for all that. Exactly. It's, it's, it's sort of allowing you to process a much greater amount of information with a lot less manpower. Essentially, you don't need people making these calls or tracking competitor rents like that at such a granular way. And so who uses this software exactly? How many property managers do we know of that could be using this, right? Because if everybody's kind of on board, then you can kind of start making the case, oh, we see how the lack of competition is happening. You see how the prices are starting to be inflated kind of all together. So how many property managers do we know are in on this? Well, you know, what I found that was most surprising, perhaps, was when I looked at a single zip code in Seattle where I was able to get a list of all the apartment units that were in that zip code in buildings with five or more units, because those are the big multifamily buildings. And I found it was over 9,000 apartment units. And I had not only the number of units in each building, but also what the name of the property manager was for each of those buildings. So I kind of crunched the data and found that there were 10 property managers that were the biggest in the zip code and that they were controlling 70% of those 9,000 units, more than 9,000 units which is amazing. And then when I went down the list one by one and sort of started, you know, looking into each of these property managers, I found out that every single one of them was using the RealPage software. So you get a sense of how, of what an impact in a specific market this software could have if they had that kind of penetration. And, and that was a floor. I mean, there could have been plenty of other smaller property managers, but, you know, still decent size, but maybe without as many units as the top 10 also using it. So it could, you know, it could have been more than that. Overall, RealPage says its client number has passed, I think, 31,700 clients. Now, those are people who are using all of its services, you know, or those are all, you know, clients could be using different types of, they, they offer quite a bit, a right. range of okay. services and property management. So it gives you an idea, but they have a very big customer base at this point. And so then what happens with, uh, I guess, regulators, um, you know, the administration, Biden administration, do they get involved in any of this stuff when they see rents going up? And, uh, you know, something like this comes out, we're finding out that a high percentage of properties are being managed, at least with this software. And, you know, the burden on tenants, right? Uh, You know, their costs are constantly increasing on this. And you had a couple examples in here where they said, well, you know, right before the pandemic, you know, we're going to increase your rent by some 10% or so. And, you know, as I mentioned, the the burden obviously gets passed on to the tenants in there. So is there anything be done on the the regulatory side or, or, you know, try to get these things under control? I think that that is an open question as to whether any of the antitrust regulators would be interested in 
asking questions about this software. That's not clear. You could the agencies that are could be interested it would be the Federal Trade Commission potentially, which has vowed to take a more active role in anti issues of anti competitive behavior, or also potentially the Department of Justice, which also has an anti mission. And for RealPage, for their part on on all of this, you know, supporters of the software, all that, they say that, you know, they're not really causing or necessarily contributing to the affordability problem that's going on with rising rents. Uh, you know, what, what do they say for, I guess, in defense of the software and all the practices? That's absolutely right. They, you know, they say that their software could potentially, that it helps prevent rents from reaching unaffordable levels because it can detect a drop in demand very quickly, like those that happen seasonally at different points in the year. And it will recommend that the apartment lower its rent right away so that the unit isn't overpriced and, and people aren't kind of scared away from it. In terms of the issue of whether there's any anti-competitive problem here, they say that they are using the private data that they're using or all of the data that they're using, they're using in a legally compliant way and that they believe that their software actually lowers or reduces the risk of any type of price collusion when compared to sort of the old methods of apartment managers potentially calling up all the other ones in the area and finding out what they're charging. Right. Well, I mean, we'll keep an eye out for all of this. I mean, it's just interesting to know how much, you know, you mentioned, at least in that one zip code, 70% of properties have kind of being managed through this software. And it's yeah. got to be just as high in a lot of other places. So an interesting look at this whole rent crisis that we're facing here. Heather Vogel, reporter at ProPublica. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. It seems like it kind of opened the floodgates of other celebrities in interviews telling these really kind of disturbing stories about the way they were treated by Bill Murray on sets over many years and decades. Joining us now is Matt Wilstein, senior writer at The Daily Beast and host of The Last Laugh podcast. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Thank you. Well, let's talk about uh, one of my favorites, Bill Murray. Uh, he's a, a comedy legend, but we're starting to hear a lot of 
bad things about him and in some of the behavior that he's had on set with coworkers. The first thing that obviously we heard about, uh, this came out last week, there was a production called Being Mortal. So this was going to be the directorial debut of Aziz Ansari. Earlier this year, we found out that that thing got shut down after Bill Murray allegedly sexually harassed a member of the production staff. Um, so what we learned was that uh, he got on top of somebody, started kissing her through their masks as this was COVID time still. And obviously she didn't think it was a joke, right? And uh, I believe that that woman received north of $100,000 in a settlement and all this. So Matt, start us off there. Uh, you know, anything else we know from what happened there on that set? And then we're just starting to hear from all sorts of other people, other co-stars and co-workers of Bill Murray saying he was kind of a jerk. Yeah, I mean, the details of what happened on the set of Being Mortal really just started to emerge last week after, you know, months and months after this production got shut down very kind of mysteriously. And we knew that it had something to do with Bill Murray's inappropriate behavior, but no one was really saying what it was. And he kind of apologized in an interview, but didn't want to specify what happened, probably because it was all going through this legal process that ended in a decent settlement for this woman who was described as a much younger uh, production staffer on the movie. So yeah, as you described it, I mean, it seems like that's basically what happened and they haven't even been able to get the movie back up and running since. But what it did when these details came out last week is it seems like it kind of opened the floodgates of other celebrities in interviews telling these really kind of disturbing stories about the way they were treated by Bill Murray on sets over many years and decades. Yeah, at the time uh, when Bill Murray was talking about what happened on Being Mortal, he said, what I th always thought was funny as a little kid isn't necessarily the same as what's funny now. And a lot of these stories from other people that are coming out really are, you know, a lot, a lot older, right, from the 90s and, you know, in the heydays of SNL, things like that. So they are from the past, but it's just so weird, right? When you hear stories of Bill Murray, it sounds like he's a great to his fans. You know, Bill Murray shows up at somebody's wedding and takes pictures and it's exactly. all great, great stories. But yeah, for his coworkers, people that were on set with him, none of these stories sound very fun at all. So let's start off with Gina Davis. She spoke out recently in her new memoir and she was talking about um, when she was working with Murray on uh, Quick Change from the 90s and uh, what happened with them. Yeah, Quick Change, one of my favorites uh, growing up. I love that movie. And they're both really great in it. But again, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But yeah, it seems like from the jump on that one, she writes about in her new memoir, Bill Murray was even in her audition, which I guess happened partly in a hotel room, which sounds sketchy to begin with. <laughs> right. He brought out an electric massager um, that he called the thumper and was, was trying to use that on her, she writes about, which is very odd sounding. Um, but then it just kind of continued through the production that he was you know, always yelling at her in public and kind of embarrassing her in front of the other people on the movie. And that was you know, relatively early in her career as an actor. Um, yeah. He'd obviously been around and very famous at that point. So that's not great. And she even said, you know, the way he behaved at that meeting, I should have walked out right away, but full knowing, well, then yeah. I wouldn't have gotten the part. I mean, that's tough to swallow too. Another one, Rob Schneider. Exactly. So it sounds like Bill Murray hated a lot of people on the set of SNL. He said uh, he hated uh, him, Rob Schneider. He hated Adam Sandler. He hated Chris Farley. We just didn't like any of those guys. Yeah, I mean, this one really feels like jealousy to some degree, because at this point in the mid-90s, you know, those guys, Farley and Sandler, are at the height of their power on SNL and are getting all the attention. And maybe uh, maybe there was a little jealousy there from Bill Murray, who was the star of the past on that show, back to visit and mm -hmm. didn't, like, um, didn't like those guys, apparently. I like that um, Rob Schneider says 
the least of the hate was to me. <laughs> Schneider said, I took great pleasure in that he hated me less because he's my hero. So it maybe didn't change what Rob Schneider thought of him as a as a comedian. And that's always the tricky thing with these situations. It's like, it, you know, him being such a jerk, Bill Murray behind the scenes doesn't make his work any less funny or any less good. But it's disturbing to hear these things, especially just coming out from so many people at the same time. This next one was interesting. Seth Green. So actor Seth Green said he was nine years old when he was doing something there at SNL. And he was sitting on like the armchair of of the couch, the uh, Bill Murray's couch or yeah. something. And he came in and said, "Hey, like, get off of my couch. That's my seat, whatever." But then he picked him up and held him over a trash can. I mean, that's pretty rough for for a kid. For to a nine year old kid. I mean, I, I could imagine Bill Murray thought that was going to be uh, funnier than Seth Green thought it was as a as a young nine year old. I like, and also in that story, Seth Green kind of talks about how he was trying to stand up to him as a nine year old, and um, it kind of backfired on him, um, and ended up, you know, he ended up uh, says he was horrified and ran away and hid under a table in my dressing room and just started crying. That was a pretty crazy one that, you know, it, it is, I think these stories are coming out now because journalists are asking people because of stories in the news. I mean, I imagine it's just going to keep happening is that, and I interview a lot of comedians, uh, you know, on my podcast, The Last Laugh, and I, I'm sure as I start talking to more people who have worked with Bill Murray, it's going to be uh, tempting to ask them if they have any similar stories about his behavior. It yeah, seems like everybody does. Lucy Liu opened up from the set of Charlie's Angels. She said that he was hurling insults at her and she stood up for himself and said, hey, you know, you know, you got to stop this. What's going on? And she feels good for standing up. Angelica Houston spoke out. Lauren Michaels was on a podcast saying that it was true that Bill Murray and Chevy Chase got into a fight backstage during SNL's second season. And so in the end, you know, as more people are speaking out, what does this do for Bill Murray? I mean, I don't know if he necessarily needs a job <laughs> right now, and he is very beloved by his fans. What does this kind of do for his rep? Yeah, I mean, we've seen this happen with, with a lot of people to varying degrees, especially over the past several years. It's going to be tough. It's like this movie that he was in is basically not happening because of what he did. So I would imagine that anyone else who's trying to you know put their movie together um, might think twice now about putting yeah. him in the cast because they'll think, you know, what if something like this happens again, something he thinks is funny, someone else doesn't, and uh, then the whole thing gets shut down and a lot of money lost, a lot of time lost. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's also, it's pretty ironic that it's Aziz Ansari's directorial debut and that he's the one sort of behind this because has had his own troubles with this in, in terms of cancel culture and, right. and his career. So it's... it's uh, tough for him as well that, that this is what's making his movie go away seemingly right. matt wilstein senior writer at the daily beast and host of the last laugh podcast thank you very much for joining us thank you so much for having me that's it for today join us on social media at daily dive pod on both twitter and instagram leave us a comment give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.